Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. I do want to talk to you about community. And uh, we're going we're gonna to start walking through just uh, over the last, last few weeks of this year, uh, kind of a uh, in-between sermon series on the idea of the church and the community of the church. And there's a real difference. I remember, and I don't, I don't know if you remember this or not, but my father-in-law, Wayne, uh, several years ago did some messages on the difference between affinity and community. See, not all of us agree that uh, Dallas is the greatest team in the world and that you ought to, you know, be a part of that community. No way! I was waiting for it, Chad. <laughs> Um, some of you believe the 49ers, some of you believe the Giants or whatever team you like to, you know, herald. What, what we've got is a difference between affinity and community. Some of you are hunters, and so you have a hunting community, right? Some of you uh, love to go bike riding, and you've got a bike riders community, whatever, the, whatever it may be. You like to read, and so you've got a book club. You know, we have different ways of expressing our tastes, our likes, our dislikes, our interests. The church is a unique community because we're called out of the world into fellowship and relationship with the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, not on the basis of what we deserve or anything that we could accomplish on our own, but rather because of what Christ has done for us. And as a result, when we gather, we, we gather together in the name of Jesus. We gather together as the church, the called out ones. And there's all kinds of things that go into this. So today we're going to kind of walk through a definition of community and, and the uniqueness of the church. We're going to look at uh, the community of, of the church as being a community of grace. We're going to look at the community uh, of the church as being a community of faith. A community of love. And lastly, we're going to look at it from the standpoint of a community of hope. We have hope. Why do we have hope? We have hope because of Christ. We have hope because we have an assurance. We, we want to share that hope with other people. When they come to us and say, why is it that you've got hope? We're ready to give an account. We're ready to give an answer. We're ready to give a reasoned response from the word of God when it comes to what it is that we believe and why we believe it. Praise the Lord. So today, the, the community of the church, how do we define community? You know, it's always interesting uh, to listen to how people use the term church, right? Um, I, gr- I grew up at church. How many, how, how many of you have had that experience, right? You've been in church since the day you were a thought on the mind of God. I mean, you were absolutely there all the time. I was walking through the hallway last week, and I saw two boys sitting in the, in the hall waiting for their parents to come out of, I think it was Marty Fuentes' class. And I, I started laughing because I immediately had a flashback to my brother and myself where we were always the last ones to leave church, always. My dad was talking to everybody, shaking everybody's hands, and he would usually be up front somewhere talking to the pastor, talking to some of the other deacons or whoever the leaders were, and they'd be sharing and they'd be talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And my brother and I'd be sitting in the back going, oh, come on, there's a game on. My brother liked the Eagles. I like the Cowboys, so there was always something. Right? I grew up at church. 
I knew every nook and cranny of the little independent Baptist church I grew up, Grace Chapel in uh, Havertown, Pennsylvania. It's just outside of Philadelphia. It was an older building, and man, it was the greatest place for hide-and-seek you could ever imagine. It was awesome. They had all kinds of nooks and crannies. You could find places that no adult would ever even begin to look for you at. And we knew them. (laughs) And since my dad was up front talking, we figured, hey, he doesn't know where we are. And we're not going to let him find us. And so we would go through all the church. We'd do all kinds. I grew up with Boys Brigade. Have you ever heard of Boys Brigade? Anybody ever heard of Boys Brigade? It's kind of like Awana. It's kind of like a, a Cub Scout kind of thing. We'd go camping. We had our books. We had to do all kinds of crafts. We had to do all kinds of things. We had to do all kinds of uh, service projects. We had to memorize scripture, right? All that kind of stuff. Listen, I, I don't know about you, but for me, my experience with the church has been a pendulum swing. There's been moments where it's been phenomenal, and I look back with awesome memories. And then there's times where it's hurtful. There's times where church has been difficult. All across the board. You know what I've come to the conclusion of is God uses the church as a community of believers in order to shape us and disciple us into who ultimately he is forming us to be. That's a phenomenal thought. It's no accident that everybody's here that's here. And the reality of it is we may not know all one another very well. We may not have personal relationships. Those of you sitting right up here probably don't know a lot of the people that are sitting way back there. Am I correct? They don't want to shake their heads because they love you in the love of Christ. But I would say that's the the same. And so we've got this gathering, this church. What's it based on? Why do we do this? Why do we come here? What are we supposed to be about? How are we supposed to be functioning? How does God use the body of Christ, the church, to shape us and form us and to mold us and and to begin to teach us and to stretch us and to grow us, to challenge us, to convict us, for brothers and sisters to come alongside of us and speak truth and love to us and for us to be able to do that with others as well? For us to be called into serving the Lord and begin to understand what that really looks like. What does that mean? How, when we say follow God, what does it mean to follow God? How do we follow God? When we say get into the word of God, what does that mean, get into the word of God? How do we begin to relate to the Lord and begin to be taught by the spirit of God who always uses the word of God in order to renew our minds, to transform us and begin to mold us and shape us, not just for the now, but for eternity. What we believe begins to be impacted by the church, impacted by the teachers that we listen to. All of those things. We talk about church and we talk about it being a community. How does that work? I've heard many people use the word church in many different ways. The building where we go. Right? If, if somebody uh, says, well, I, I go to church. What does that mean? Well, where, where is that church? What are they talking about? They're not talking about people. They're talking about a place, a building. The church can mean a specific local place of worship, Hoffman Town Church, or it can be the universal idea 
of the people of God, believers in, followers of Jesus Christ. It can also be referring to a specific local group of people. As I said, Hoffmantown Church, a specific identity with a particular group of individuals that are a part of that community, part of what we would call that church. <laughs> I've heard people say, well, what time do you need to be at church? We say it almost every, every Sunday, don't we? Jonathan, it's like, oh, Jonathan, we got to get to church. Come on, man. So we think of it as a, a place, a building. It's tied into the vernacular of how we even talk about it. We go from pendulum swings of we need to paint the church to we need to grow the church. <laughs> right? I mean, it's all over the board. And the truth of the matter is, is when we talk about church without throwing baby out with bathwater, what we're really talking about is right here, the people of God. People that love Jesus, who are called into a fellowship with the Lord and with one another. So let me put it this way. The church is a living, vibrant community of believers. We're not talking about people who are not believers. We're talking about people who are believers. We're talking about people who are in Christ. Who are to be growing in the Lord along with one another, following the Lord in every moment of life. That's the church. Now, there's all different kinds of ways of looking at that, and volumes and volumes and volumes have been written about the church. But I want to just put it in this way. There's, first of all, a defined community. It's not our definition that matters. It's what does the Word of God say, and is what has the Lord said about his church that really matters. There's a focused community. We, we are the people of God. That's not what we came up with. That's not how we define it. We didn't inherit because somehow somebody taught us that. It wasn't passed down. This is not something that, that humanity has come up with. This is something God has come up with. And as a result, when we begin to understand that, we are here for a purpose. And we need to be focused in the midst of what it is that God's called us to, namely himself. And as we're yielding to the Lord Jesus Christ and walking with him and following him, how is it that God desires for us to be obedient to him? What are we being led to in order to serve him? How is God using our lives individually and corporately so that through us he might be proclaimed? And then I would suggest that in our day and age we are certainly a community, we're a church, and I say that from a universal perspective. Clearly it impacts Hoffmantown as a local body of believers, but I think throughout this world and, and clearly within America, we are a community in transition. A community in transition. There's no question about that. Different uh, ideologies, different seasons of how God has used the church, how God desires to be using the church, how God desires for the church as we move forward to be used. There's all different kinds of ways of looking at this, and there's all different kinds of opinions on this. But I think there's no question that we are a community in transition. So the first thing, a defined community. I, I spent some time just looking up a bunch of different things on, on this particular issue. Chuck Colson, I'm sure you know him. He's with the Lord now, tremendous man of God, 
wrote a book, and what he said in this, and I thought this was really great. How we belong to one another goes far beyond the sweet fellowship of potluck suppers and finding a comfortable social circle. Because we're talking about community here. You, you can have affinity in that, right? But what we're talking about is biblical community. And he says true community involves a real koinonia, a deep communion, the kind the apostles described in Acts 4, which is the first real sign of the kingdom on earth where each person in need was helped. This is where people truly bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, and yes, even suffer for one another. It's a beautiful truth. The church goes beyond just coming together and having a fellowship in the sense of how we normally define that. It goes to the very heartbeat of relationship, of koinonia, of lives that are in effect joined together because we've been called out of the world and we've been called into Christ and we're now a part of his family. We're part of the body of Christ. We're part of the church. And how we relate to one another and how we live that out is far deeper than just coming together and and having like a potluck. (laughs) Baptists are famous for this, right? We know that. We love our food. We all come together together. All you got to do to get a crowd is have good food. Man, everybody's there. The reality of it is what we're talking about is something much richer here, much deeper. It always centralizes around the word of God. It involves prayer. It involves self-sacrifice. It involves sharing from a heartfelt issue, not just the surface. How are you doing? Fine. I'm great. I'm good. Everything fine in your life? Yeah, it's all happening great. No, the, the communion we're talking about is how are you doing? You know what? I'm struggling. I need you to pray with me. Would you be willing to do that? Or I've got this need and I don't know where to go with it and I need wisdom on it. I may even need help. Would you be willing as my brother and sister in Christ to do that? It goes deeper than just the surface. So the word church itself means a called out gathering or assembly of people. A called out gathering or assembly of people. And what we're talking about is literally a gathering of people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, the church then, the body of believers, is a community. As each one who is a part of the church has been saved by Christ and now have a common identity in Christ and one another. What is it that binds us together? I would suggest it's Christ. I would suggest it's that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been called into his family. And because we've been called into his family, we've been called into a community, a fellowship, a koinonia with one another. G.K. Chesterton is just a brilliant individual. I love how he defines this. And hang with it for a second because he's really deep, okay? Look at this part. He says, the man who lives in a small community lives in a much larger world. The reason is obvious. I'm glad he thinks that. Because when I read that, I went, it ain't that very, I don't know. That's not obvious to me. I'm not sure exactly what you mean. But listen to how he defines this. In a large community, we can choose our companions. In a small community, our companions are chosen for us. Community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. (laughs) Have you noticed that? 
<laughs> That's funny to me. Often we surround ourselves with the people we most want to live with, thus forming a club or a clique, not a community. Anyone can form a club. Now catch this. It takes grace, shared vision, and hard work to form a community. Amen. It's amazing. The larger the church, the more difficult it is to have a smaller church within the large church. And it's important to have a smaller church within the larger church because it's very easy for people to hide in the large church. I'd be one of those, to be honest. And not that sitting in the back is wrong, but I'd be on the back of the back. And I'd be hoping that the chair would be up against that wall so I could lean my head against the wall. That's me. Because that's, that's just how I am. Sorry, get over it. I, I don't necessarily like large gatherings where I'm in the center. I don't. I, I really love having smaller group, and I love to be able to relate to people and find out what's, what's going on in your life, how things going. That's just how I tend to be. And so it's always funny to me that God called me to be a pastor. Hilarious. Because that was never a thought on my brain. <laughs> Folks, when we, we talk about community, we're talking about fellowship with one another. We're talking about God orchestrating our lives in such a way that there are times where the Lord allows things to take place in our lives that we don't necessarily like. And we're not talking about circumstances. We're talking about people. And God uses our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in order to help shape us and mold us. To expose things in our own lives that are not from him that he needs to work on. And that we need to avail ourselves to him in order for him to work on. And there are times where God allows us Heaven forbid that we should think that any one of us are a bit of an instrument in God's hands to help and shape and mold somebody else because they don't necessarily want to be around us. <laughs> we always think of the other person. Well, what about us? There's times where in our own personal lives, other people just have a hard time with, with us. And yet God somehow orchestrates that and God somehow puts that together in, in a beautiful way in order as we all yield and surrender to the Lord that he begins to produce within us a love and a joy and a peace and a patience and a kindness and a long-suffering and all those different things that the Holy Spirit alone is able to produce in and through our lives so that as we begin to relate with one another, the world begins to look at us and goes, what? How they love one another how they love one another. In spite of all the differences and in spite of the fact that some are Giants fans and really root for every team against the Cowboys, God bless you, Chad. That I love my brother, Chad. I love you too. Amen. Amen? That's the point. And that love is what reflects Christ through us. So there's a defined community. There's also a focused community. 
Now, a lot of times we talk about focus, we talk about priorities, we talk about all this stuff. What we're really talking about, what we've been trained to immediately think about, is what are we doing? Vision has become, what are we doing, how are we getting there, and why aren't we there yet? I would suggest when we talk about a focus community, the first and absolute primary aspect of this is we better be focused on the Lord. Because the truth of the matter is we have no idea how to get where God wants us to go. Most of the time, the only thing we know is what Stephanie just sang, which is step by step. I want to follow you step by step. The Lord normally never gives us 10 steps, much less two steps ahead of where we are. Why? Because he's teaching us to walk by faith, persuaded that God is able, that the Lord knows the path, that the Lord knows not only where he wants us to go, but how to get us there. And so our focus has got to be on Christ. And therefore, it's got to be on the Word of God. It's got to be as we grow in Christ, that as we're learning to walk with Him and die to self and yield everything to Him, to walk by faith, that we are learning to follow the Lord and our wonderful, great shepherd knows exactly how to get us where He wants us and how to orchestrate those events in such a way that He alone will get the glory for it. I was listening to a... A pastor a few weeks ago, he came, spoke to the association. I don't know if you know Tom Rainier or not. Tom Rainier's written a bunch of books, Simple Church, etc. And one of the things that Tom did was, was uh, kind of glean through the, the country and he looked for certain SBC churches uh, that had really gone through difficult times and now were in effect turnaround churches. Turnaround churches, that's the terminology. And this pastor came, and he really blessed me. He was really dear. And my favorite part, because he spoke at the association meeting, my favorite part of the whole thing is when he began to address the quote-unquote success of his church. And he began to talk about how they went down to 40 people. He had come in. They had asked him to be the pastor. They were meeting in some storefront, and they had grown to a particular uh, level, maybe 200 people. The next week he came in, they went down to 100, and then he said they began to actually go down and down and down and down to the point where there was 40 to 60 adults left in this church. And he kept telling them, oh, I, I'm, I, you know, it's okay. I, 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 things don't seem like they're working. It's all right. It's good. And he said all of a sudden something changed. And God began to add, and all of a sudden the Lord began to add, and he, he started walking through that. And he, now they're running, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think it's over 2,000. They have five different churches where they're grooming and they are discipling uh, pastors. They're not just satellite churches with video. They're actual pastors on site, shepherds as a part of those particular church plants that they've started, that they've come alongside and helped with. And so now they're, they're in books And they're called a turnaround church. And he's standing there. And you know what he said to us? He said, people ask me all the time, how did you do it? And his response was beautiful. He said, I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't a formula. It wasn't, you know, anything other than God at work. We were focused on him and what he wanted. And God began to do this. And we give God the credit and the glory for it. 
awesome. Praise God. That is glorifying to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And watch this, right? Here it is. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. How simple is that? And yet how profound. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Why? He's the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wow. Paul speaks to this as he talks about the focus, and he's writing to Timothy in in 2 Timothy. And this is the last book that he's written. He's about to be martyred for the faith, and he's writing to his son in the faith. And he gives us in chapter 2 three very specific things. He, said, he talks about a soldier in active service, not getting entangled up in civilian issues. You're on mission. Don't get caught up in the things that absolutely don't matter. Keep your eyes on what God has called you to, ultimately on Christ himself. Or the athlete, a runner. I don't understand those people. I really don't. I watch them all the time and I think, God bless you. When I got done college and I got done baseball and playing baseball in college and I, I finished my last lap, I said, that's the last lap I am ever running in my life. You know, couch potatoes live longer. I'm sorry. <clears throat> so, but he talks about an athlete, a runner, competing according to the rules. You don't get caught up in doing things that aren't according to the rules. You stay within the boundaries because you're running with a purpose. You're running with a focus. Paul would put it this way, to know Christ, because that's eternal life. To know the Lord in everything. And he uses the example of a hardworking farmer who's tended to his crops, who's been faithful to do what's necessary in order to, to cultivate the land and the seed that he's planted. Who's the one that causes the growth? Was it the farmer? Can the farmer take credit for that? Absolutely not. It's God who causes the growth. But boy, there was a lot of work by the farmer intending it. Right? Focus. Focus on the Lord. When we talk about the purpose of the church, it includes teaching the word. we, We refer to praise and prayer or worship, if you want to think of it that way. We talk about fellowship with other believers. The encouragement, admonition, the fellowship that we have, koinonia, that's why we call K-groups K-groups, adult Sunday morning Bible study classes. Say that fast five times. It's a K-group. It's it's simple. It's just koinonia. It's more than just the potluck. It's more than just the hi, how are you doing? It's in the word of God together as brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging one another, admonishing at times, helping strengthen one another. So there's the fellowship and the service that comes out of that. There's the sharing the gospel with unbelievers, evangelism. Folks, that's essential. That's, that's not secondary. That's, that's not something that we do as an afterthought. Right? The, the tagline today is not just that we are doing church or that we go to church, but that we are the church that we are to be the church. And so in the midst of relationships and fellowships and coming together and and focusing on the Lord and growing in Christ, there's, there's always that idea that, oh, my neighbor, my friend, my family member, my coworker, whatever it may be, 
Lord, how would you use me in order to share with them the hope that I have been privileged to experience? Evangelism, right? Talk about that in terms of missions. The church is an organism. (laughs) That doesn't sound real great, does it? I'm an organism. I kind of go back to Myanmar and all the prayers that I had about not picking up certain organisms, you know. But the church is living, living. It's, it's not just a corporate structure. I like to say that we're, or we should be as we follow the Lord, an organized organism because God's not the author of chaos. The Lord organizes us. He does it by spiritual gifts. He does it by calling. He does it by all kinds of different ways. But he's the head. And we learn to follow him and trust in him. We're focused on him. And we recognize that we are a living body of believers. And therefore, we have been called into that body, not by our works, not by anything we could do, but rather by Christ himself. And as a result, we're a part of this living church. Not just a building, not just a corporation, so to speak, or some kind of an organized group. Rather, we are a part of Christ himself. We don't deal with a product per se. We deal with people. We deal with their eternal state. We deal with their position in the kingdom. How are you growing in Christ? What is it that God's teaching you? How do we make sure as shepherds that we're feeding the flock with the word of God? Because the word of God is what brings encouragement. The word of God is what renews minds. The word of God is able to cut right through into all our belief systems and expose what's of error, what's not of God, in order that we might know what is of God and begin to teach us to walk according to his strength and according to his ways, which is according to his grace, and to be empowered by the Lord in order to walk the life that he's called us into. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Phenomenal statement. Volumes and volumes. Entire religious organizations have been created on this particular statement. Let me just point out to you. He says, I will build my church. I will build my church. I will build my church. What a beautiful truth. What a freeing thing for all of us. Who builds the church? God builds the church. (laughs) What are we talking about? We're talking about from the heart where God begins to work in each and every one of us and he begins to draw us closer to himself and through our lives, he is seen. He's seen in the way that we treat one another. He's seen in the way that we relate with one another. And out of that, as a result of that, love is what is recognized and the world begins to recognize, oh, look at how those people love one another. And they get a taste, a glimpse of who God really is. And then... Either God leads us to go to them or they come to us. Either way, God's in charge of it. And we begin to share with them the greatness of the glory, the truth, the true identity of who Christ really is and what he's done for each and every one of us. We're called into a fellowship with Christ first and then one another as a result. Fellow believers, 
Our message, Paul said this so clearly, is the gospel of grace, which includes not only a call to believe in Christ and be saved, but it's also a call to follow him with the promise of future hope and assurance. In other words, eternal life. Focused on the Lord. So we're defined, we're focused. But I would suggest we're also a community in transition. You can see this. I think it's an amazing thing to watch. I was uh, looking at a book called Church Unique. Will Mancini is the author of it. And he put together some popular perspectives of the church over the last, you know, 50 years or so. From 1960 to 1970, you have what we would call the church growth movement. You've got all kinds of things that were going on there in terms of church growth. 70 to 80-ish, about a 20-year period of time, we had the popular church growth expressions. All the different things that people were uh, saying about the church and defining it to be, etc., There was a parenthesis of church effectiveness, probably from 90 to 2,000. And we're seeing this today. You know, more and more young people are not coming to church. And it's accelerating. We see less and less people. The the Southern Baptist Convention as a whole is in decline. We don't like to hear that. That's truth. So now there's a bit of a missional church reorientation. And I, I would put it this way, and I'm going to speak on it over the next four weeks. Uh, there, there's an attractional versus an incarnational kind of moment. Attractional meaning, what do we got to do here to get everybody to come? Because this is really cool, and they love being here. And so we've done something attractional in order to get them here. Versus incarnational, where we come together, we grow in Christ, our minds are renewed, we begin to learn to walk by faith. And again, baby bathwater, I'm not saying that never happened in the past. But predominantly, the focus is very different. And now the focus is on how are we growing in Christ and being sent by God incarnationally to go meet people where they are so that we can build relationship with them, share with them the love of Christ, and then invite them to church. Very different things. Not all wrong, not all right, but different. The church is called to make disciples. I think we would all agree with that. In fact, it's not just a calling, it's a command. Each individual is commanded to make disciples. Matthew 28, verses 18 and following, you know it well. Verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples. That's clear. Now, friend, I think it's very important to understand that that is God's work in and through us. I think that's important to recognize. We don't just wake up in the day and create a checklist and say, God told me to do it, I'm going to go do it. Praise God, I hope you have that attitude. But I think the first step in all of this is to say, Lord, here's my life, I yield to you. Lead me. Whatever you choose to do, wherever you choose for me to do it, however you want me to do it, with whomever you want me to do it, it doesn't matter, Lord, you lead me, and I know that you'll empower me to do the very thing that you've commanded me to do as well as called me to do. I think that's why the Lord said, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go therefore. 
as you're going. As a result, that I am in absolute authority. As you're going, make disciples. Make disciples. Chuck Colson puts it this way, and I think it's kind of a neat thing because when you think about the church and you think about the local body of believers, you think about a a place where transition begins to take place and we begin to seek the Lord and say, Lord, what is it that you want? And we begin to recognize that God's at work and we begin to, to say, Lord, here's our lives. Use them in whatever way you choose. Colson, again, he says it this way. We cannot treat the local church like a restaurant, picking and choosing from the menu, visiting another whenever we feel like it. Church membership involves making a covenant with fellow believers. It takes time to develop unity with others at any depth, and this never takes place ever, not at any time or anywhere, without conflict. Oh. Anybody else with me on that one? Oh. <laughs> right? Does anybody here really like conflict? Seriously? There's something wrong with you if you do. I'm glad I didn't see anybody raise your hand. Neighbor, if, you're, if your neighbor raise your hand, give them the good old, you know, poke, admonish them, correct them, be a brother and sister in Christ. Nobody likes conflict, folks. But you know, it's amazing when God calls a group of people together, what happens? How many of you had a wonderful time with your family? With friends? Uh-oh, not everybody raised their hands, Sorry. I know that when I go and visit my family, is there ever a Thanksgiving moment that you had where there wasn't some form of disagreement? Some form of a bit of a conflict that needed to be resolved? Some form of a, oh, my aunt, my uncle. My dad, my brother, my sister. I love them, I love them, I love them. But heaven help us. <laughs> right? Folks, we get called into this and God uses it in order to shape us and mold us and to form us. Don't get frustrated in it. God's doing a work. And that's precious. That's precious. Because God always has our eternity in mind. He always has what it is that he's preparing us for in mind. Keep trusting him. Keep walking with him. Keep him as your focus. Keep the Lord in the center of your attention. And understand the whole country, the whole world, as Oz Guinness puts it, is seething. And the church is called to follow Christ. In the midst of it. Some conflict's good, some's bad, some's from within, some's from without. Let me give you some just specifics. Flesh patterns that destroy community. I don't know if you remember Bruce Witt. He's been here a bunch, and he put some of this together, and I borrowed it stole it from him. But I'll give him credit for it. <laughs> Flesh patterns that destroy community. Corinthians was going through this, the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, Paul writes to him, he talks about it in chapter 1, verses 10 and 5. Divisions among you, quarrels among you, lawsuits. There's the judging of motives. And he came out with four things. First of all, the thing, one of the flesh patterns that destroy community is competition. Luke chapter 9, verse 46 spoke to this. There are, arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest. 
Competition usually ends up using others for gain, for our gain. Only one win wins. We win it or try to win at all costs. We take advantage of others' weaknesses. Now, I'm all for competition in the right sense. Now, I'm really brokenhearted Dallas isn't making the Super Bowl this year. But when we begin to do it with selfish ambition, that's not from the Lord. Comparisons. I set my own standards. I put others down in order to, to lift myself up. This tends to be a world focus. It feeds pride or self-deprivation. We count. We measure in order to look good or gain credit. Mm. We control. We manipulate the outcome. We're led by fear versus working together in freedom. There's an emphasis on policies, rules, and regulations, restrictions. It becomes control. Those are flesh patterns that destroy community, folks. That's just reality. And when we see it and if we recognize it and understand it for what it is, then we need to immediately repent of it. Repent of it. Be free to that. Keep, keep the Lord the focus. What are some hallmarks of community? What are some things that we look for and we say, oh, the Lord's at work. There's, there's the Lord at work. Let me give you a few of those. Authentic relationships. Psalm chapter 142, if you have time, read that, verses 1 through 4. But there's a caring for one another's souls. When, when we talk about authentic relationships, there's a, there's a genuine concern for one another. How, how are we coming alongside of each one? There's a value and a sacrifice for people. There's a value of people, whether they're weak or strong. I was so blessed by the people passing out turkeys uh, this last week, and we had families coming in, children running all over. It was very clear some of those children never come into church before. And I was so blessed by a lot of the students who were taking the food to their cars and helping them out. There was a valuing. There was a care. There was a joy amongst those who were serving. It was really cool to watch because I knew that that was the Lord. That was Christ in and amongst that group. There's a growing in trust and safety. There's an environment of authentic grace, authentic grace. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 and following speak to that. Or there's a building up of one another. There's an investment made into each other. You can read Ephesians chapter 4 and look at all the different ways that we are to build one another up in love. There's healing emotionally. There's forgiveness. There's, there's a comforting. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 speaks to that. God is the God of all comfort. And we have the privilege of comforting others with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted with. Weakness is the glue, not just the strength. I think that's a, that's a pretty interesting way of saying that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 12, speaking about the body what is it that connects us? If I have all the gifts and I have all the strength, why do I need you? I don't need you. I use you. But guess what? Nobody here, myself, anybody, has all the gifts, has all strength. And as a result, we need one another because we're a body of Christ. We're not all left hands. We're not all right hands. We're not all left feet, right feet, etc. Guess what? We need one another. And that's important. It's actually our weaknesses that, that bring us together. 
We accept differences. We're able to work through conflict and differences. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 deals with that. Hey, we don't all think alike. We don't all necessarily like white lights on a Christmas tree. Some of you look at this stuff and you look at these. I think it's really awesome. Maybe you came here today and I don't know. We're all normal until you get to know us, but maybe you thought, what? Or you don't like this or whatever. We can create any kind of scenario. You don't like the blue carpet, whatever. But you know what? In the midst of all that, we accept one another with our differences and our uniquenesses. We actually value diversity, the various parts of the body, 1 Corinthians 12. And folks, when that begins to take place, when Christ is at work in the midst of all of us, guess what? Love is a witness to the world. Because that's the hallmarks of what a healthy biblical community of believers is all about. So what's the Lord doing in your life? I would love to take the time, and I wish I had the time, and I maybe would someday get there 100 years from now. I don't know. But to come to every one of you and find out how God brought you here. And I don't have to deal with the students because their parents made them come, so it's all good. I'm kidding, guys. It's all right, you know. But how did you come here? How are you a part of this fellowship, community? It's fascinating. It's fascinating. God's sovereign over it. God's in control of that. We get to relate to one another. We keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. The Lord's defined us as his church, his body. He's the head of it. We're living because Christ is alive. Christ lives within us. We keep our eyes fixed on him because he's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that empowers us. He's called us into this, and he's the one that now comes and lives within us in order to do through us what we could never accomplish on our own. And praise God we get to celebrate him and who he is in the midst of that. And yes, there's all kinds of transition, but you know what? In the midst of it all, we get to see God at work. And we get to go to the Lord and say, Lord, how are you going to do this? Lord, what is it that you want us to be a part of? Lord, we want to see your glory and you at work. And we want to give you the glory for it all. Because he alone is worthy of it. What's God doing in your life? How did he bring you here? How are you a part of this community of believers? And are you celebrating that? Are you thankful for that? Are you walking in grace in that? What's God doing in and through you in order to help build up this body of believers, this church? That's awesome. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.